Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. The latest Franklin and Marshall College poll is out, and it shows that Pennsylvania, like much of the rest of the country, is divided, even more so since last November's election. Just a little more than a month into the new Trump administration, Pennsylvanians don't have a high opinion of the president's performance. Along the same lines, two-thirds believe the country is moving in the wrong direction. Meanwhile, just over half of those polls think Pennsylvania is on the wrong track. Joining us today to talk about the results of the FNM poll, Dr. G. Terry Madonna, Director of the Center for Politics and Public Affairs, Professor of Public Affairs, and Director of the Franklin and Marshall College poll. Dr. Madonna, welcome to the program. Well, as always, Scott, thanks for having me. The latest Franklin and Marshall poll, this is the first one out since the November election. You talk about both national and state issues, but I want to start with national issues. One of the highlights of the poll is that one in three, 32 percent of registered voters in Pennsylvania, believe President Trump is doing an excellent or good job as president. So 32 percent, one in three, believe the president is doing a good job. What does that say to you? Well, it's obvious that if you look at the national polls, that Trump has the lowest job performance of any incoming president in modern history. Uh, Some of the national polls show him 30 percent. Some show him a little higher. One of the big findings, first of all, there's been the controversial rollout of the immigration uh, travel ban, and we were in the field here at FNM at the time when that was, you know, all about it was it was it was big news. Uh, the fundamental problem right now is the polarization of the electorate. When we when we look at Democrats, Democrats who say he's doing a fair or poor job, not Scott, ninety percent of them. When we look at liberals who say he's doing a fair job, 96%. They're off the charts. And conversely, when we look at Republicans who say, is he doing an excellent or a good job, 61%. We're in, we're in parallel, we're in different universes. And let, let's try this one, ideology. 73% of conservatives say, yep, the guy's doing an excellent or good job. Liberals, 96% say a bad job. Now think about that. This is partisanship and polarization in the extreme. Have you ever seen anything like this in all of your years? No. And there's another big division. And this was picked up in the exit poll, national exit poll in particular. This one is really stunning. Excellent or good job, high school educations or less. 51% of Pennsylvania voters. College degrees, he's doing an excellent or good job. You have a college degree or more? 23%. How about this? A fair or poor job, fair or poor. College education, 76% fair or poor. College degree, excellent or good, I read that. 23%. You see, this is really, really very unusual the polarization. Now, here's what the key is, in my humble judgment, for whatever my <laughs> my two cents is worth. Remember what happened on Election Day. We had two Pennsylvanias. We had rural and small-town PA go one way, and urban and exurban, meaning the suburbs, go another way. Donald Trump won 70% of the vote in 23 counties. And many of those counties 
are places where conservative Democrats live and where they're the voter registration majority. Places like Cambria and uh, Green and Westmoreland and Washington and Fayette and up in the Northeast, Luzerne County, Democratic registration edge. We are clearly seeing division, particularly between liberals and conservatives, but also, so, uh, but also by party, the likes of which we haven't seen. So, you know, I, I know I'm asking you to analyze this here, but you know, why is it? I mean, it seems as though we have gotten even more divided, and I say we, yeah. meaning the state of Pennsylvania, that we've become even more divided since Donald Trump was elected. Yeah. Well, remember, this was a, an extraordinarily contentious election. Number two, Donald Trump is a controversial figure. I mean, nationally, he's got job performance that, you know, is the lowest, as I pointed out earlier, of any president to take office in modern history. He has said, and, you know, some of his supporters don't view it this way, but some pretty inflammatory things. He's walked back on, on some of them, as you as you know. He's not been, in some respects, the polarizer on some of the things he said about groups, uh, you know, women, Muslims, although he certainly is going after, you know, the inept, the inept uh, way in which the Muslim travel ban was implemented, or I should say, to be more accurate, the immigration travel ban was Im- was implemented. That's why they need they're doing you know another one <laughs> uh, for obvious reasons. So we are hugely different, Scott. On on all the polls that get done, just take a look at them and look at the differences between liberals and conservatives. There's ver- there's very little agreement on almost anything that's important. Whether it's in this state, we'll get to it. Whether it's in this state on a variety of big issues, or in the national government about how to deal with the Affordable Care Act, about how to do with uh, immigration, uh, about what to do about the trade deals. I mean, we're talking here about a deeply polarized country in which Trump epitomizes, in a sense, one. And and I wouldn't even I would earlier I wouldn't have even called him a conservative from you know earlier in his career. Oh, he supported a lot of Democrats, liberal Democrats who ran for office in New York and other places. Uh, he's, you know, whether you like him or not, you can't deny that he's a polarizing, that he is a polarizing figure himself. You know, Terry, when I look at this overall, and as I'm listening to you describe this partisanship, this divide that we have, this polarization that we have, it doesn't sound like we have a healthy democracy or a healthy republic yeah. at this point. Yeah, I, I I think you're on to something. Look, and, all, and you, 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 look, you have a variety of people on your show from all points of view. I'm a regular listener. And, and the fact is that you see that in the people you have on your program. You see it in the interviews that you do with a variety of people, particularly when you get to some of these very controversial, uh, controversial subjects. And Trump, by loose language, I'll put it that way, has, has uh, in many ways only exacerbated. Look what's going on when Republican members of Congress try to hold town halls. Look at the criticism at Senator Toomey for what? Not having any, <laughs> you know, the, the regular town halls. Yeah, they can do them. 
They can do Facebook chats, you know, they can do close meetings of those sorts. But, I mean, when's the last time you saw that? Now, we can argue whether they're prompted, whether they're people that attending or paid, whether they're orchestrated. I don't, you know, we don't need to get into that. But there isn't any doubt that the reaction since Trump took office by liberals and Democrats has been has been uh, uh, something that we've not seen perhaps since the Vietnam War mm-hmm. and the huge debate over the war. I want to go on to something else in the poll uh, that is related. Two in three, 66 percent registered voters believe that the United States is on the wrong track. Mm-hmm. And two in five believe that government and politicians mm-hmm. are the most important problem facing the country. Now, yep. Let's talk about that uh, two and three. First of all, 66% of registered voters who believe that the U.S. is yeah. on the wrong track. That tends to go back to what you were talking about just a moment yeah. ago with the partisanship yeah. and that no one is happy. Yeah, that, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, remember, let's talk about the right track, wrong track for a minute. And this is true in the national polls as well. So what do we have? We have a large number of people, the white working class that everybody has talked about, the people who put Trump in office, the the blue-collar workers, high school educations are less, rural and small-town America, rural and small-town Pennsylvania that elected him. Why did they vote for him? We're talking about a, a substantial number of people, 40% in some cases, of the electorate, because they are the folks whose jobs uh, opportunities are limited. There are, many of them are in the industrial parts of the state or the old industrial parts, coal, steel, iron, lead, coke, you can go through the parts of them. They're they're diminished in some places, removed entirely. These are the people who are static. These are the people who don't have the skills and the training to move into the new economy. So they voted for Trump. They support Trump because what did he emphasize in the, what did he emphasize when he ran for office? Trade Trade deals. Yeah. 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 You got it manufacturing. I'm bringing back coal. But whether he can do this or not remains to be seen, but he held up out hope. So there's a good example of people who feel the economy is not good. If you live in an inner city, let's go to another group of people. You live in an inner city where unemployment is high, where folks lack the education and skills to move ahead. There isn't any doubt that we have two major components of our economy that aren't doing well. Uh, and, you know, minorities in, in inner cities and the white working class and the Republicans focus because their House members, their representatives, both in the legislature and in Congress, represent rural and small towns. And what do the Democrats, by and large, represent? Urban Pennsylvania, right? Right. And so you got two large subgroups of people, if you will, who are really facing hard times. And the Democrats want, tend to want to help one, and the Republicans tend to want to help the other. And I, 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 when I talk about it, I say we're wealthy enough to, to say, can't we address the problems in both communities? You know what I mean? And it doesn't have to be uh, the private, se- the government, uh, you know, to get the private sector involved. We ought to be able to figure out how to lift up people everywhere that are in dire straits. You get, you get my point. But one party represents people in Congress and in the legislature from one geographic area and one demographic and the other party, another geographic area and another demographic. Think about it in that context. Well, that's something that uh, even 
four years ago, eight years ago, uh, when Barack Obama was the elected president and Republicans kind of looked in the mirror and many people were saying to them, well, there's a changing demographic in this country yeah. Yeah. and uh, Republicans have to do something to reach out. Now, right. it's very questionable whether a majority of Republicans have actually done that. But what you point out is it is a changing country demographically for one thing, but in a lot of yeah. other ways, too. With that, Again, it just goes to show how divided we really are. Yeah, yeah. And. I mean, I'm in the speeches that I gave, and I'm still giving them as I talk about this. I quote the late Arlen Specter, and he was decrying the death of moderates, the decline of moderates, and he would almost in a jocular way say, "Well, the moderates in the Senate are down to me and the two women from Maine." <laughs> That's, I mean, you know, the quintessential Arlen Specter. You interviewed him many times. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's just the way he. But there's a certain element of truth to that. We have a shrinking middle and a much more polarized society that creates this kind of situation. Now, the one thing the voters in our state, overall, a majority of them, give Donald Trump some credit is they do have confidence, 51 percent, that he can handle the economy because of the emphasis that he put on it during the campaign. And also look at the meetings he has had with business leaders, as he he argues, they're they're not sending those jobs abroad, and they're going to create new jobs in the country as well. So he has been particularly focused on on the jobs, and I think that's of all the areas the Franklin and Marshall College poll got into, that was that was certainly the the best showing for President Trump. When, yeah. The economy, yeah, the economy was the most positive. But along those lines, uh, voters weren't quite as confident in the president's ability to handle immigration issues. Forty-one percent said they were. And foreign affairs. And also yeah. foreign affairs. So what does that say to yeah. you? Well, look, we were in the field about the same time. Guess what we had going on? Yeah, that was the uh, the seven immigration. countries, the travel ban from the seven yep. countries. Yeah. There you go. And that brought up controversy. I mean, even people who agree that there needs to be some steps to ratchet up the uh, security, the clearances, would talk about how poor the implementation was, how the, the rollout was sloppy. And there were a lot stronger words used by people, you know, who were commenting them on radio and TV. And, you know, if you had a green card, that means permanent residence. You get a green card for 10 years, you're a permanent resident. Stopped. If you had a work visa, stop from entering. Uh, and now they're, uh, they're probably going to do something about that, you know, either either today or Monday, but it's coming. They'll probably address those. And so, and then some of Trump's earlier language has not helped him. When he did talk about removing 11 million uh, illegal immigrants, he doesn't talk about that. They that those problems they've moved to the back of the of the line. He says. You know, with the new, with the new focus. So I think that's primarily the reason why. So you know that he that a minority of Pennsylvania voters think that he can have confidence in his ability to handle immigration. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. 
Welcome back to Smart Talk. Our guest during this portion of the program is Dr. G. Terry Madonna of Franklin Marshall College, political analyst and pollster. We're talking about the latest Franklin and Marshall College poll that just came out this week. Terry, we talked a lot about uh, what's going on nationally, the findings of the poll nationally. Let's move to Pennsylvania. One in two, 52 percent registered voters believe the state is on the wrong track. And a majority, 54 percent of registered voters believe the financial condition of state government is bad or very bad, although one in five aren't sure. All right, so let's go to that 52 percent. So about half of those that uh, were polled believe the state is on the wrong track. I guess there's some good news there in that it's not the 66 percent of Americans who believe the country's on the wrong track, but still a majority, just over half, believe the state's on the wrong track. Why? And and it's down from last January where it was 67 percent on the wrong track. I think there's, even though there are lots of people who are still feeling the ravages of the recession and some fundamental problems with the state's economy that we and national economy that we've already talked about, but I do think there's a, a better, you know, it, it, it's better in the sense that there are more people working, even though we still have a large number of people who've dropped out of the workforce in the state. There are fewer millennials who are living with their parents, even though two years ago we had a record number, or three years ago, of millennials who moved back and after they graduated from college uh, back home while they looked for a job. In many cases, couldn't find couldn't find a job, at least in their fields of study. So the point is that this the good news here is that is that these are better numbers, and that is usually related, if you will to the general overall fiscal situation. It's also been at least, what, a year since we had some major political figure indicted. (laughs) (laughs) In Pennsylvania, we we have to think about that, yeah. Yeah, we do. I mean, you know, we've had some other other officials, but not a statewide official. I'm not – we're we're kind of laughing. It's a serious matter, obviously, but but I think overall, you know, and and the governor's uh, budget message – Oh, when you take a look at a lot of things that have been that are happening in this state, there seems to be less of a hostility between the governor and the legislature. They seem to be, you know, working out, you know, working a little better given the budget he's proposed. Uh, but when we start talking about the situation with government and politicians, there you go with the situation that I've just alluded to. How many times did you do stories? on what politicians were doing that wasn't so good. Well, that's just it. And we get criticized for that, but uh, unfortunately, it, it makes news. It, 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 it really does. And here's something else that, I, uh, that we need to think about. When we ask these questions, if I'm, a Democratic, if I'm a Democratic voter and I look at something that can't get done in Harrisburg or Washington that I want done, I blame it on those Republican politicians. If I'm a Republican and I want something done in Harrisburg or Washington, I blame it on, you got it, the Democratic politicians. So why do you think they can say government and politicians? Because a lot of voters don't think it's working in ways that they think it ought to work. Translation, if, I'm, if I want to keep the Affordable Care Act, what do you mean you're going to, you're going to end it? What do, you think you're going, what, what do you mean you're going to repeal it? If I'm uh, a supporter... If I don't want much change in immigration, what do you think I'm 
and I'm a Democrat and a liberal, what do you think I'm going to say about government? You follow me when mm-hmm. it's, when that's happening? Or when we could talk about state taxes, we could talk about pensions and all the other things that you've chatted with many guests about over the last year. Well, you you talked about uh, that faith in government, and let me just bring out uh, another uh, finding in the poll, and that is that uh, registered voters continue to believe that uh, government and politicians, 24%, are the state's most important problem, yeah. and that's followed by education, unemployment, Taxes, and, taxes right. and, and you know we mentioned this on the national level too. That uh, even though uh, the, those who were polled didn't say politicians and government were the biggest problem, it still was something that they had a real problem with. But I have to say that when I saw that Terry, I was I, I sat there and said that this is how Pennsylvanians are viewing the problems that we face right now. Yeah. They yeah. look at government and they look at politicians as the problem, a bigger problem than, say, yeah. education that impacts yeah. everyone in this state. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, and that is because of the system. Look at what we went through with the porn, with the pornographic emails out of, you know, that the attorney general exposed and the people, major people involved in them. Look at, we elected three statewide, major statewide officers in 2012. What happened to them between 2012 and 2016? Two of them are gone, right? Right. Convicted convicted of, of, of felonies. Two of them. So, what makes see this is that this is also in the news routinely. Uh, plus, look at the debate over the budgets, the late budgets. Isn't that a government and, polit- and a politician problem? See, it almost looks as though voters don't have a whole lot of trust in government that uh, anything can get done. Yeah, yeah, they yeah they don't they don't. I mean, one of the big things in the debate over the governor's budget proposal is, oh my gosh, this looks like given he only recommended a 1.8% increase over the previous, over the current budget, he is put some money into education, which is reasonably popular in both among with Democrats and Republicans. He didn't call for an income or sales tax. Well, maybe the budget will get done in a timely fashion. See what I mean? Compared to the almost circus-like atmosphere that existed in Harrisburg during the Corbett years and during, you know, the gov- current governor's first two years. Let's talk about uh, the current governor, Governor Tom Wolf. Uh, he faces re-election next year, and by all indications, he is going to run for re-election in 2018. You ask uh, registered voters what they thought of uh, Governor Wolf, and uh, there were 38 percent, almost two in five, who said that the governor was doing an excellent or a good job as governor, mm-hmm. which is actually up from 31 percent in February right. 2016. Now, I'm going to bring a little bit of politics into this, Terry. Uh, we we are a year away from primaries, more than a year away from primaries, a year and a half away from the general election 2018, where we get into gubernatorial politics. So what does this say to you about the governor's chances for reelection, mm-hmm. or is it way too early to tell? Yeah, oh, I think it's too early to tell. Remember, we also have to look at who he ultimately ends up as a Republican nominee. There's one declared candidate, Scott, Senator Scott Wagner from York who's actually been out campaigning against the, uh, Governor Wolf now. The other aspect about this, again, is the 
polarization on the job performance is not as great as we saw with uh, the president, but it, but it, but it's, but it's still there. Sixty percent of liberals give the governor an excellent or good job performance, uh, but then when we conservatives give him fair or poor, that's still a pretty big gap. And the same with the party. Twenty percent of Republicans say the governor is doing excellent or good. Fifty-three percent of Democrats. But how about fair or poor among Republicans? Seventy-one percent say fair or poor. You know, he's a Democratic governor. Uh, so you begin to see that some of the polarization is playing out in this. Uh, but there isn't any doubt that, the, the, as you accurately point out, the election is underway. Governor Wolf last fall, late in the fall, began to tout the successes of his administration, particularly in the second year. And he went through a litany of things, whether it was medical marijuana, the expansion of of uh, alcohol into uh, more into into the private sector. He talked about the greatest, the largest spending in education, basic education in the state's history. And he had some other things he talked about. I mean, you could get the sense last fall when he did the tour around the state, did a lot of media interviews and, and visits, that, he, that this was really, in a sense, the beginning of the campaign. And, and, and then you had the budget rollout, which most of us called a re-election budget. That's not saying it's good or bad. It's just saying the I, what didn't he call for in that budget? Sales or income tax hikes, right. right? Right. I mean, and it was, and spending, oh, 1.8%. The current budget is 4.7% over the previous year. The current budget, 47 That's mm-hmm. the largest increase, I think, since Rendell was go- uh, left the governorship certainly larger than uh, four years of Corbett in the first two years of Wolf. And this one is 1.8. So you see what you see there. He had, he had election in mind, but he also, you know, has a series of major reorganizational and efficiency efforts in state government, the likes of which we haven't seen in modern history, if, if in history at all. Well, 38% who give the, the governor good grades, excellent or good, that's not exactly an overwhelming no. endorsement. And I have right. to say that I was a little bit surprised that you said 60 cent, 60% of liberals uh, thought that the governor was doing an excellent or a good job. I would have expected that uh, that figure to be a little bit higher. I mean, at one time yeah. the governor was called the most liberal governor of America. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And on social and cultural issues, that's certainly, you know, he's he's fairly liberal. And you and I use liberal and conservative not in any pejorative way no. we're just sort of describing. But but remember, he also did has not had, you know, in some ways major accomplishments. There's What's the problem? Well, he has had some. I mean, and he touted them. But I shouldn't say that. I'll re, re, restate it. But the state has coming up in three years, a $3.0 billion, a $3 billion structural deficit. Right now we have a $700 million shortfall in this budget, as, as estimated. So the state is not without its problems. You know what I mean? And we could go on and talk about others. So overall, I mean, you know, uh, 33% of liberals say he's doing a fair or poor job. So you don't have the same, you don't have the same deep divisions that we have with uh, in the presidential election. 
Another issue, and that this is something that Governor Wolf proposed in his budget address, and that is raising the minimum wage from seven dollars right. twenty-five cents an hour, which is the current minimum wage here in Pennsylvania, to twelve dollars an hour. You ask that question, and six in ten, sixty-one percent, mm-hmm. say they favor an increase in the in the minimum wage. And you ask, and uh, let me just put it this way, because the wording is very important here. The question was. Uh, supporting a minimum wage increase from seven twenty-five to twelve dollars an hour, uh, it doesn't surprise me that a majority of people supported a minimum wage increase. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I was a little bit surprised though that they supported one from seven twenty-five to twelve dollars an hour. Yep, yeah, because a, a lot of folks are talking about some compromise. You know, some figure below the twelve dollar, maybe ten and a quarter or whatever. There isn't any doubt I mean, about that. You're, you're, you're right. But I think what we're seeing here, and, and part of this is the reaction by people in those two subgroups, uh, the important groups that I talked about, folks who live in the inner cities who are really struggling financially, struggling to find, uh, find jobs. And remember the blue-collar workers out in rural and, and small-town Pennsylvania who also are, you know, working, earning fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year, and they're, and and folks in their family. You see where I'm heading with this. Many of them are working in minimum wage jobs. So, you have the, the possibility here that you have, uh, in a sense, a kind of coalition on increasing. It's not a formal coalition, a coalition in terms of their support for the vote, and and I think that's fairly explainable if times are tough. Why? People, you know, will favor getting in a sense to raise. Do you think that legislators look at the results of your poll and other polls and say, uh, you know, this is what a majority of? I mean, I know they don't like to say they do, but would yeah. they look at that and say that uh, you know the majority of Pennsylvanians support an increase in the minimum wage? Yeah, well, they look at it, but they're probably more likely to look at what the voters in their particular districts think. So if you're in a legislative district, you're going to pay a lot more attention to any poll that would happen to be done in your in your House district or in your Senate district more than more than statewide polls. The other thing I have found is that people usually tout the polls that are that are favorable to the issues they support. <laughs> yeah, and mm-hmm. and beat up on the ones that don't support them. You know that, that have positions that they don't uh, that they don't support if if there's a favorable outcome in the poll. But, you know, look, polls have taken a big rap, as you know. Uh, many of the state polls were didn't have it quite right. Ours was certainly one of them. You know, we've tried to make adjustments and look at them. Burwood Yost in the uh, Center for Opinion Research and his folks have done a great job of reevaluating it, uh, interviewing people that we interviewed last fall to try to get a, a sense about it. And, uh, you know, uh They've done an excellent job of uh, working that out. And so the other possibility is that the, all the polls, that we were in such an unusual election. You, you've talked about that. I mean, this was an election last fall, the likes of which we hadn't seen in our lifetimes, right? I don't know if we'll ever see it again. <laughs> well, with the polarization, we might. That's <laughs> true. Know? That's true. It's hard, it's hard to say. But And Trump was 
again, whether you like him or don't like him, that's not my point, but he was certainly an unusual candidate. Uh, again, the likes of which we haven't seen. Uh, I say in modern history because we have, we have had some different kind of people run for the presidency over the course of American history. Dr. G. Terry Madonna of Franklin and Marshall College, thank you very much for being with us today, Terry. My pleasure, Scott. Thanks again. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. This weekend, WITF once again hosts the Central Pennsylvania Spelling Bee. Young people will be vying to represent the region at the Scripps National Spelling Bee in Washington, D.C. And in what has become an annual tradition itself, Smart Talk has its own miniature spelling bee. Let me introduce our participants. Well, first of all, Ruth Keim is our spelling bee coordinator. Ruth, always good to see you. I see you through almost every day. But, uh, well, now, yeah, not, you not in the chair you're sitting right <laughs> yes, now, ready to go. Yes, it's an honor to sit here. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Lambert, WITF Multimedia News Director. Tim, I know you always look forward to this. Uh-huh, yes. <laughs> I always look forward to getting five letters right in a word. And Ben Allen, he is uh, making his debut. He is WITF's Transforming Health Reporter. Sucker. Ben, if you get uh, more than right than we do, you're never participating again. <laughs> the intimidation has already begun. That's I'm right. ready. Well, I think Tim explained it earlier. He said you're a Patriots fan. Uh, yes, and so we yeah, have to check uh, your, your arms and hands to make sure the word aren't written down. <laughs> we're, weren't you talking about hazing recently or something like that? Bullying. <laughs> Bullying. So, Ruth, before we get into spelling some of the, okay, attempting to spell some of these words, yes. tell us a little bit about uh, the Spelling Bee this weekend. How many participants are we looking at? This week we have 34 coming. Um, we had 36 qualify. Two of them chose not to come. So we have 30, 34 of them coming to vie for the championship that I'll take to the Scripps National Spelling Bee in May. Okay. So how does it work? I mean, just kind of give us a brief rundown of, of this weekend, uh, what will happen, and then when can uh, those listening who want to see it on television, when can they do that? Well, it started in February, first of all, with a written t- or in January with a written test with 176 qualifiers. Um, these are the, were the top 36 that qualified for the oral test. And um, they'll be the champion will be going to the Scripps National Spelling Bee. It's always the week of Memorial Day. Uh, we go down to the D.C. to the Gaylord, and uh, our champion will participate. They take a written test on Tuesday. They'll spell on Wednesday, and the champion will be crowned on Thursday. And ESPN, of course, carries, ESPN the, carries the, it, yes. the, the championship. And our uh, champion here in central Pennsylvania has done quite well. We have had some that have done quite well, yeah. The top one was... Um, Joanna Yee, who was fourth place. Right, right. Okay, so let's get into it. Okay. And let's have Tim Lambert uh, be the first to attempt to spell a word. Okay, well, we're doing one round of vocabulary because the the spellers had to have a vocabulary in the written test. So we're doing one round of vocabulary. Okay. Don't make a face, Tim. Okay. It's radio. I can make a face. Okay, it's very easy. What is a spore? That's S-P-O-O-R. Is it a boil or wound? Is it evident of evidence of passing as by an animal or a knife-like instrument? Can I ask to have it used in a sentence? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not in vocabulary. Wow. I mean, you, what more do you want? <laughs> I'm going to go with A. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, what is it? It is evidence of passing as by an animal. What? Okay, yeah. now use it in a See? sentence. 
I, I don't have a sentence. Oh. I'm sorry. All right. This, this is just strictly vocabulary. It's well, the sentence would be, a spore is evidence. <laughs> <laughs> All okay, right. these, this is exactly the way they get the, the kids get them. So Okay. Okay, right. this is, here you go, Ben. Good luck, kids. What does it mean to be maladroit? Unemotional robotic, unperceptive lacking judgment, or unhealthy, easily taken ill? Okay, so not C. Unemotional, robotic, and then what Unper- was it, what was B? Unperceptive, lacking judgment. I'm gonna go with A. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> B. It is B. You're right, Scott. You should have gotten that one. You can, you can use that as to you know choosing to come on what this was, show. This is, <laughs> what was the word again? Mal- maladroit. Maladroit. Okay. Yes. I'm gonna use that in a sense today sometime. I okay. Hope so. Good. Uh, this is an easy one, Scott. You got the easy oh, one. Oh. A bromeliad is Fixed. an overly confident person. A spiky plant or a breed of horse. Okay, say that again. A bromeliad is an overly confident person, a spiky plant, or a breed of horse. I'm going to go with B. You got it. It is a spiky plant. Good job. I got to tell you, I just took the other two away, you know? Process of elimination. Here we go. This This is the real deal now. Okay. Okay, Tim, are you ready? No. Sempipernal. Sempipernal is a word from Latin to English. It's an adjective. It means of never-ending duration. The meeting seemed sempipernal to Myrna, who wanted to be on the ski slopes. Myrna? Myrna. Myrna it's not your word. Sc- Easy here. I'm concentrating. <laughs> I just wonder. You're, you're throwing them off with different kind of names here, too. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Myrna. <what is> okay. <laughs> Go for, ahead. Forget Myrna. No, no, the word okay. is sempiternal. Okay. Sempaternal. Sempaternal. Say it again. Sempaternal. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, S-E-M-P-E-N. Wait. T-E-N-A-R-E-L. <laughs> yeah, really, man, he oh my word! Yeah, you really did very easily. S e m p i t e r n a l. Sempiternal. Where that I is? Yeah, that would. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sure you've heard of this, Ben. Put your phone down. No, my, my, fo- <laughs> uh, my phone. Oh, yeah. I'm, 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 hey, 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 hey. Okay, hey. I'm sure you've heard of this. I'm word. using. I'm using the method that they use in the spelling bee where they take their card that they have oh, okay. and they write on the back of their card with their finger because you can't write with your... He's writing, right. on, the back he's of, writing, he's writing on the back of his phone right, for the I'm, record. I'm watching to make sure the screen is not up. Okay. Alright, I'm sure you've heard of this before. Yeah. It's a French word and it's a noun. It's a cone-shaped stack of cream puffs coated with caramelized sugar. A croquembouche is a traditional type of French wedding dessert. Croquembouche. Croquembouche. Well, French is a good key here. So. Yes. All right. Croquembouche. C R O Q U E B R O U C H E. Well, it wasn't bad. Uh, no, the Q was, I thought the Q was good. That yeah, was well done. but you forgot the N, M, Croquembouche. Uh, Croquembouche. C-R-O-Q-U-E-M-B-O-U-C-H-E. Uh, 
I'm going to get that anyway. And we're not allowed to write these down, right? <laughs> well, we, we can't write. I mean, no, no, you can't. Just in my I, I know, I yeah, know but I was thinking finger. about getting a pen. <laughs> no, you're not allowed to do How that. How many years okay. have you been doing this, Scott? Know, you're still I trying know. to write stuff down. <laughs> I know, I know. Jeez. Okay, here you go, Scott. All right. Pneumatoseal. Oh, for God's sake. Pneumatoseal is a noun. It's from Greek. It's a gas-filled cavity or sac occurring especially in the lung. A pneumatoseal, maybe solitary or multitude, is the result of a bacterial infection and occurs predominantly in children. Pneumatoseal. Pneumatoseal or, now wait a minute, there's another definition, pneumatoseal. Pneumatoseal, pneumatoseal. Okay. Nomadoseal. I'll go with nomadoseal. I okay. like that better. It's, okay. a little more it's ang- wrong already. Angles. You're wrong already. <laughs> N-O-M-A-D. A sealed. A or E. E. C-E-I-L. E-D. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> what are you wow. laughing at? <laughs> you talked about Tim butchering that. Um, P N E. I knew it. Oh. Oh. Yes. Okay. P N E. P N E U M A T O C E L E. All right. See, I my ears must be because I thought you said no matter. Please, these headphones are turned up so loud. New matter seal. New matter. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Back to me. Boy, yes. He's worked in the refs. He's worked in the refs right now. I did blow that. I did. Okay. Here you go. Infandibuliform. Oh, Infandibuliform is an adjective. It means having the form of a funnel or cone. It comes from two Latin elements. Kate watched the hummingbird taking nectar from the infandibuliform flowers. Infandibuliform. Infandibuliform. No. <laughs> Infandibuliform. Dibuliform. I shouldn't give you that much. Infandibuliform. Oh, I'm still going to get it wrong. <laughs> I N F I N I B U L O F O R M. It wasn't bad. Infandibuliform is I N F U N. D-I-B-U-L-I-F-O-R-M. Indibuliform. So I had two letters wrong? No, you had three. Three? Yeah. You hmm. forgot, the, well, you forgot the B. I said B. Oh. Just you still got it wrong. Oh, it you still got it wrong. Yeah. yeah sorry. I'm getting closer. I got two wrong. Okay. All right. Ben. Okay. Hercoservice. Hercoservice is a noun. It comes from Latin. It's a legendary creature that is half goat and half stag. A large painting of a Hercoservus hangs in on one of the museum's walls. Hercoservus. Hercoservus. We hunt them here in Pennsylvania. <laughs> the Game Commission regulates the Hercoservus. That's what we can use. You got a Hercoservus tag? You got a Hercoservus tag? That's right. <laughs> um, could I get the etymology again? Um, this is from uh, from Latin. Okay. Herco service. Yes. H e r. Man. Herco service. H e r. K. 
U S E R V I U S. I'm not sure what. <laughs> okay. I can't possibly be close. <laughs> He had some of the letters right. Some of them. In the right order, or were they just in the... (laughs) He just kept going. (laughs) Hercer Surface is H-I-R-C-O-C-E-R-V-U-S. Oh. So I added, like, a a false syllable. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I wasn't exactly sure where you were going. The V-U-S would be the Latin. Yes, yes. None of us have taken. Okay, Scott. Well, this ought to be good. (laughs) Zypophilus. Yes. Oh boy! Zyphophilus is um, an adjective. It means having sword-shaped leaves. The gladiolus is a zyphophilus plant. Zyphophilus. Zyphophilus or zyophilus? Zyphophilus. Zyphophilus. Okay, I'm going to take a stab here. Okay, now let me just say literally, this. since it's a sword-like ah. leaf. Ah. <laughs> This this consists of two word two parts that went from Greek to Latin. I don't know if that helps you. Not really. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now I'm going to take a step here and say X. Okay. Wow. Oh, that's a big leap. Wow. X Y. Say it again. Xiphophilus. Xiphophilus. Am I getting that right? Xiphophilus? That sounds right. Okay. He sounds like one of the students actually trying to delay the inevitable, which is the ding. Oh, <laughs> well, you got that right. But XY. And, okay, it's Greek and Latin. Uh, <laughs> PH. Uh, OF. Okay. A. Okay, now. I'm oh, done. you're done. <laughs> I don't even know what the word is. A P I O U S. Okay, you started out really well. Okay, see that X, man. I, I'm X, proud you got of that. That, that was, the, but it wasn't X Y. It was X I. Okay. You got the P H right. Okay. X I P H O P H Y L L O U S. Oh, and it would have yeah. been del- double L's. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah that's, that is a tricky. I mean, yeah. you're, you're what, 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 what round would this be in uh, Ruth? Um. These are actually words at the very end of the words that they send me. So these kids, if they had made it this, these are actually words that Scripps has given. So wow. we're up to basically almost 500. And yeah. Whew. Just think, Ben, we're, we're talking that someday all the words that we have misspelled today, that are, there are probably dozens of 12-year-olds yep. yes. who have yeah. spelled correctly. And they're, they're saying right now, listen to those That's clowns right, on the radio. <laughs> they are laughing right now. Clown, C-L-O-W-N. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> All right, now these are not out of the te- These are words that I have come up with. So I hope they're easier. They're real words? These are real words. Okay. They okay. aren't. I just did not make them up. So, okay, you've heard of this, I'm sure, Tim. <clears throat> Bouillabaisse. Oh. oh. base is yeah. a highly seasoned fish stew made with at least two kinds of fish. It's a noun. It's French. Nancy loved going to her grandmother's house when the bouillabaisse was cooking. Bouillabaisse. Tim, you've been in France. You probably have had... I probably eaten. have, and I've looked at the menu and said, what does that mean? What is it? Bouillabaisse. Don't they ask you when you enter the country? Right. Spell bouillabaisse <laughs> and croquet. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, a <laughs> uh, 
bouillabaisse. Remember, it's French. B O U I L B A S E. Ah, oh, you were close. B O U I L L A B A I S S E. You had the bouillabaisse out there, yeah. All right. That was close. I'm not going back to France ever. (laughs) (laughs) No, you've got to go and ask for some bullets. (laughs) i got to spell it correctly. Uh, (laughs) Okay, Ben. Okay. There's two spellings to this word. Uh, I will accept either one. Okay. It's a caravansary. I I don't want to say a. um, Caravansary. An inn surrounding a court in eastern countries where caravans rest at night. It's a noun. It's a Persian word. The large travel group felt fortunate to find a caravansary that should that could shelter the whole group overnight. Caravansary. It's Persian. Mm-hmm. Caravansary. C A R A V A N C E R Y. Caravansary. It was very close. C A R A N C A R A V A N S A R Y or the ending was S E R A I. Huh. Persian. Interesting. Yeah. You were close. All right, yeah. we have time for one more. And that's for you. Okay. For the win. For, for the, the win. win. Okay, here you go. This is a great word. Okay. Because I think you might be in you might be this. Okay. <laughs> a quinquagenarian. <laughs> Are you a quinquagenarian, Scott? In my 50s? Yes. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Very good. Quin? It's Latin. Quinquagenarian. Quin? What's that second syllable? Quinquagenarian. Quinquagenarian. Okay. All right. Q-U-I-N. Quinquagenarian. Uh, Q-U-I-N. G E N I I E R I blew it. Oh, you were doing so well. But why would you go Q U? I know. I lost track of it. Yeah, I was going to say you forgot the quad. Because I am a quinquagenarian. Quinquagenarian. Q U I N Q U A G E N A R I A N. All right. But Ruth Kime is W I T F Central Pennsylvania Spelling Bee Coordinator. The only one we got right was a vocabulary word that we so we kind of set a record. I think this snaps our streak of. Having one word spelled think, right I, in one I, year. I Tim Lambert and Ben Allen. <laughs> Bad luck. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks, guys. By the way, next Friday, uh, we will be on a Smart Talk road trip to the Pennsylvania Garden Show of York. You can see our broadcast uh, live. That's Friday, March 3rd from 9 to 10 a.m. at the York Expo Center's Memorial Hall. We pre- we'll preview uh, the flower and the planting season with tips and advice to help develop your green thumb. The Broadcast is free and open to the public. Register today to attend at WITF.org slash events. Coming up on Monday's program, Ben Allen joins us again to talk about his series, What We've Learned About the, the Affordable Care Act, that's coming up on Monday's show.